Well, we're back in the Gospel of Mark. We'll be here for quite a long time. Um, and you go back and you watch other sermons on our YouTube channel. Um, we have like it all categorized, broken down by verse by verse. Um, in last week, we talked about this idea of how do you grow in Christ? What an interesting thought. How do you actually grow in the kingdom of God? And I think so often the way we grow as Christians looks totally different than the way we think we should grow. And you can go back and, that's not a hook, but you can go back and watch that. But today we're talking about the idea of stories. That Jesus in, this, this, in Mark chapter 4 is talking about he's teaching parables and stories and allegories. Um, and really so often, what is the best way to show someone a depth of maybe who someone is? Right? When you look at C.S. Lewis, when he wrote the, some of my favorite books, you know, the series of Narnia, when he wrote those books to kids, he actually wanted to impart to kids what does it look like for little kids to follow Christ in different ways, to use their imagination, to actually bring sin and salvation to whole new depths in light, that kids could like wrestle with it and use their imagination and go, oh, what? Aslan is, is a Christ figure. I love that. That when you actually have seen an amazing movie or amazing story, that it's so easy for us to be captured by it, isn't it? Maybe it's just me. When I, when I read a great book, right, I can't stop thinking about it. I can't stop talking about it. That actually, the, the characters in the story, maybe they, they relate to me or maybe they don't relate to me, but I'm captured by the narrative. That Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, that he has a whole bunch of people following him. There's a whole bunch of crowds that are following him. He's actually, he's healing people. He's like casting demons out of people. That there's like a whole crowd of people following him and all of a sudden he's trying to like thin the crowds out that he's actually trying to like thin them out so he starts teaching in parables and stories that people either get it or they won't get it but when you look at this passage and i've looked at parables in the past and i've taken like seminary courses on parables that so often we almost get the, the picture that that christianity can be like a secret society that that actually it's like not for everyone. But that, that's what this parable doesn't say. It doesn't say this is for like the only people who get it. That he's actually saying here is that in the first story, there's a lamp that in Christ's kingdom, it cannot be hidden. You can't put it under a bushel. That no matter what you do, that light will shine out into our world, into the darkness. The light will pierce it. You see, I think it so often shows the way we want to hear a story, be moved by a story. That when Jesus in the Gospels, when people approached him and asked a question, he often asked a question back because it really shows us where our heart's at. Today I want to talk about the kingdom of God, but I want to talk initially about our kingdom, the kingdom that I build, the kingdom that you build. That when you go into Indigo in the mall, there's a whole section of books just called self-help. And they will help you do anything, right? Like, I love um, what they call it, habit hacking. I love that. Um, I'm a nerd for those kind of things. Um, this past, you know, three months, I've been trying to, like, look at my, my sleep, right? And I was like, oh, like, I can actually hack my sleep, right? By, like, tracking my watch. And, like, my watch will show me how many breaths per minute I have at night when I'm in a deep sleep or in a shallow sleep. They'll show me um, my my uh, oxygen intake, all those pieces of the puzzle. I love 
habit hacking. But the question here is, when you go into self-help section at Indigo or anywhere, even online, so often it's about us building our own kingdoms. It's about us showing our incredible story to the world. I want to talk today about God's kingdom and how God's kingdom looks nothing like our kingdom. It looks nothing like the way we would envision it. And that's why Jesus is using stories to really hit home over and over again. What does it look like to be in the kingdom of God? I have kind of three points. One is what the kingdom of God is like, how the kingdom of God functions, and how do we live in the kingdom of God? So Mark chapter 4, verse 21. If you have your Bibles open there, we actually use a translation called the CSB. Um, I also love the ESV. It's a great translation. The ESV is a great word for word, but the CSB is the most literal, readable translation on the market. Go and, go and buy yourself one or go on the version app and download it. It's, it's worth owning. And here's what it says in, in Mark chapter 4, verse 21. It says, And he also said to them, It's a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed. Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed, and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. He said that this past passage last week um, in the beginning of Mark chapter 4. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him, and whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. The kingdom of God is like this. He said, A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, although he doesn't know how. The soil produces a crop by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the full grain on the head. As soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With that, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all the garden plants and produces larger branches so birds of the sky can nest in its shade. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these. And when they were able to understand, he did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however... Jesus, he explained everything to them, to his own disciples. You see, these parables, these kind of three stories that kind of like sum up the kingdom of God. And, and actually, if we're to like look into the story and kind of track, backtrack, we actually look at, at verse 30 and 32. It kind of shows us. And I think so often I wish Jesus would just like, just give us a definition of what the kingdom of God's like. Just, just tell us, just boil it down because he actually repeats in the very beginning of Mark, repent, the kingdom of God's near, but he doesn't actually tell them what the kingdom of God is. Like, just boil it down to what actually is the kingdom of God. And then Jesus actually shows his disciples, people that are gathered around him, he's actually using stories because he wants them to think bigger than what their little kingdom looks like. In verse 30 and 32, it says here, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or a parable can we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed. When sown upon the soil is the smallest of all the seeds on the ground. And when sown, it comes up and grows taller than all of the garden plants and produces large branches 
so that the birds of the sky can nest in its shade. You see, what Jesus is saying here to his followers, the kingdom of God is so important, it's so critically important for me and for you that we have to get a part, we have to actually drive it into people's lives by metaphors and stories. Right? Like we say in this, when we sit in this room, this theater, and when Jesus says, when planted, the kingdom of God is like the greatest of trees which all the birds of the air come and take their nests. See, Jesus, his, his hearers, his followers would have known something that we don't know. That you and I are like, what is this? Just a big tree growing up. Right? When you look at the passage, what he's referring to in the Old Testament, there's lots of prophecies about a tree. We're looking at Daniel chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. Here's what it says in Daniel's prophecy. It says, In the visions of my mind as I was laying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. And the tree grew large and strong. Its top reached the sky and was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As lying in my bed, I also saw visions of my mind, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. You see, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, and he's saying it looks like a tree. But then he's alluding to these other passages in Daniel. And then he moves on, and if you look in, in Ezekiel chapter 17, very similar imagery. It says, this is what the Lord God says, I will take a sprig from the lofty top of a cedar and plant it. I will pluck a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it. On a high towering mountain, I will plant it on Israel's high mountain so it may bear branches, produce fruit, become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind will nest under it, taking shelter in the shade of its branches. Then all the trees of the field will know that I am the Lord. I bring down the tall tree and I make the low tree tall because I cause the green tree to wither and make the withered tree thrive. I, the Lord, have spoken, I will do it. You see, these are not like literal trees. It's like a, they're symbols. It's like a, a figure of speech. What really these prophets are talking about, which Jesus is actually kind of hammering down um, in this parable, is that, that in the Old Testament, prophets used metaphors or imagery of stairways, bridges, mountains, a tree to connect heaven and earth. You see, what they're, what they're prophesying about, what they're talking about in the Old Testament, Daniel and Ezekiel, as we look at human history, look at Genesis chapter 1 to 3, that God initially dwelt among us. He dwelt on earth. That he had his presence, his life, his glory, his face. His presence was on earth. The world was a garden. It was paradise. There was no death, no disease, no decay. There was no poverty, no injustice, no brokenness of any kind, and no hunger. Right? Like the, the prophets are alluding to the fact that there's a disconnect from heaven to earth. And it all started in the Garden of Eden. But see, when you look at God's relational presence, his face, his glory, his presence is the only environment which I believe, as church believes, that all created things can flourish. 
that God's presence, as it were, was the only soil where everything created can fully come to flourish. You know, it's not just flourishing in a a self-help book or habit hacking, that, that when you actually know Jesus, when you actually know God deeply, when you actually start saying, it's not about my kingdom, but about his kingdom, it changes the way you organize yourself. You see, our potentials don't erupt or explode until we're really in the presence of God. Because we're built for that. Think about all the things that we love, the things that I love. Right? We're built to flourish in God's presence, but sometimes that's a thing that we just choose the least. Right? It's so easy to focus on a bigger house or a better house or a better car or a bigger bank account or a different relationship. You see, we've all become alien from God. We've experienced psychological disintegration, social, cultural, physical, everything. You look at that, I think so often you think about freedom in our culture, that, that our culture so desperately wants to be free. Right? Like so often in a post-Christian society, in a secular society, so often people say things like, well, I'm just going to live my truth. I hear this all the time. Right? It's almost like we're fish and we jump out of a fish tank and we're just flopping from like every little puddle to puddle to puddle to puddle to puddle trying to find our freedom. Maybe we'll make it to a lake. <laughs> Maybe. Right? Like I think that's what people want. Freedom is actually having no constraints, having no parameters or boundaries. It's actually just living my true self. That's chaos. What Jesus is saying in this parable is that when you find him, there's a seed that's planted in your life that changes everything about you, that shows you the right constraints, but you actually are not like, oh, I have to obey these things. You're like, I love this person so much, Jesus, that actually I want to be more and more like him. It changes me. You see, when you follow Christ, you realize that Jesus, he's the bridge, he's the tree that connects heaven and earth. That you see heaven coming down and renewing us, our society, our culture. It looks like loving your neighbor. It looks like tipping in a great way when you go for a coffee shop. It looks like not thinking about yourself so much. It's about thinking of yourself less and less and less. Giving yourself away. You see, the kingdom of God, when you realize what it is, that's not about you. It's actually about Jesus. It reorientates your life. I think so often when we read in a North American context, in the Bible, when we read the Bible, we always like put ourselves as like the hero. Or when we read a story, we're always like the hero of the story, which is a natural thing. But so often I think when you look at a movie, Right? If you ever like stick around to the end scene credits, right? Like this is like my pet peeve when you go to a movie and the movie ends and people are just like sitting there and I'm like, oh, is there like an end scene credit? Just sit here for another five minutes to wait. And I'm like, is it on YouTube? Beckett, check and see if it's on YouTube because I don't want to sit around for five minutes. You know, I think so often when you think about a movie, we want to be like the main character, but we're like, you know, random guy number 17. 
remember my friend once, he said, hey, I'm part of this movie. And he was like an extra, and that's what he did in Vancouver. And he's like, I'm an extra in this movie. Go watch it. And I watched it. And I was like, Dan, where are you? I did not see you in the movie. And he goes, oh, I'm there. And I was like, what? Where, where were you? I watched it. I hate saying that, but I could not see you in the movie. And he was like, oh, actually, like in, you know, 35 minutes and 17 seconds, I'm there. And I was like, okay, cool, great. So I waited to get the DVD. I got it, put it in, paused it. And I'm like, oh, there he is. Like there's a frame, and he's in the very back corner, long hair just bobbing his head. <laughs> but he was like, I'm in the movie. Like this is a movie about... Dan, I'm like, dude, you're not even in the movie. I think that's so much we think about the kingdom of God. It's so often we want to be the main character in the movie, but it's all about Jesus. He's the smallest seed that's planted in our life that grows this majestic tree that actually redeems people around you. It actually changes the way you function. See, it asks the question of how does the kingdom of God function? See, when you look at like a new coach, or a new leader comes in and takes over a team or a new department, there's always a new organizing principle, isn't there? Like the organization, when a new coach comes in in the NFL, he organizes the team differently. The way he motivates is different than the last coach. If a new boss comes in, he leads in different ways. There's different values and policies and priorities. Things get done differently. We think about the, the kingdom of God, how does it function? Because when you enter into his kingdom, when you say, Jesus, I actually want to follow you for the rest of my life, all the days, every breath, it looks like your life starts functioning differently. We talked about this last week that it doesn't look like mechanically you're producing something, you're doing something. I'm just like waking up and I'm doing X, Y, and Z. No, it looks like there's something organically that comes into your life. You know, my community group this past week, I said that that there was a relationship in my life that I just didn't know if I could ever forgive. <laughs> Have you had that before? And over the course of time, I realized, actually, I, f- I forgive this person. And it was one of my bosses, and I drove down to Surrey to, to say I've, I'm sorry for what I've done. I drove down, and we sat down, and we, we worked it out. And I remember being like, I can't believe I did that because it's not me. That God's growing something in my life that's slowly, like roots, like becoming more and more dense. Like if you look at like a plant that grows and you pull it out of a pot to repot a different plant, the roots are just like fully saturated in that pot. That's what God's going to do in your life. That the more and more you let God grow in your life, the more there's going to be roots just all over this slowly chipping away at things in your life. But Jesus is saying here is that there's a whole functioning principle. There's a whole way of organizing. It's actually in verse 24 and 25, kind of going back. And what he says to them, he says, pay attention to what you hear. Your ear always matters to Jesus. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and more will be added to you. For whoever has, more will be given to him. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. What he's really saying, Jesus is really saying in a simplistic way, he's saying is how you organize your life matters. It shows a different way to function in a new kingdom. It shows that you actually are functioning in a new kingdom. It shows there's a new person that's actually taken kingship over your life. That maybe I had to get off the throne of my life and give up to Jesus. 
See, maybe it looks like when you look at relationships. So often when we move into relationships in Kelowna, we're conditionally and selectively measuring people up in a room to see who's the coolest, hippest, nicest people we'll meet to affirm our needs. See, I think if you move into relationships in the kingdom of God, it's not to get your needs met, but to serve people. And that's when you'll be relationally rich. It's not about me platforming myself up. It's not actually me becoming an influencer in Kelowna. It's actually saying, I want to be in a friendship relationship with you where in your worst moments, I will come over and I'll look after your kids. I will cry with you. I will be there for you because I want to serve you. I want to love you. It's not about me looking significant in Kelowna. See, Jesus is saying in the kingdom of God that the, the way to fullness is by emptying yourself. You think about money. See, what does the Bible say about, about your wealth? Right? Does it say you make more? Does it say that if, um, if you give your money away, we'll just, he'll just give you more and more money? I've heard this time and time again in Kelowna. What Jesus is saying here is there's a kingdom principle here by how you hear, by how you manage, by how you organize your life, how you function in the kingdom. And there's such radical ways of living. Like, if you give your wealth away, you'll become rich in relationship, rich in spirit. And so often, if you give your wealth away in radical proportions, your soul will not rot from the way you value money. Jesus says the only way to to really have wealth is by giving it away, being wealthy in other areas. You see, the function of the kingdom of God is so different than anything else in this society, in this culture. You look at it, the way up is the way down. The way to influence is the way to serve. The way to be rich is to give it away. The way to be happy is not to seek your own happiness, but the happiness of others, to serve others. You think about this, it so often shows us the kingdom of God is so upside down. It's so different than anything else in this society. It's a whole reversal of ways that you and I cannot just manufacture. We can try. I've seen people try to give money away and be generous. Remember this one guy in one of my churches, and he said, you know what, I have a bank account. And I was like, oh, cool, thanks for telling me that. I don't, know, I don't even know that you have a bank account. Everybody has a bank account, right? He's like, no, I have a bank account that's saved for tithing. I said, oh, sweet. Why is it full of money? <laughs> and he goes, well, I don't trust the church. I can never trust a church. And I was like, well, okay, like whose money is that then? And he's like, oh, that's a good question. Right? Because like my bank account balance isn't, my own, even though I love to think it's my own, as I'm saving for whatever it is. See, the world says, you want to be happy? Try to be happy. Buy things to make yourself happier. Look out for number one. If you want wealth, hold on to it. Hoard it. Make more and more and more. I think this so often creeps up in my own life. Doesn't it? 
Like it creeps up in my own life, this, this world where I want to be the king of my life. That I have a hard time living in an upside down kingdom. So I'm like, no, actually, I don't want to live like that. That's a hard way to live, Jesus. Um, one of my first books I read as a Christian, I think every Christian should read this book. Um, in C.S. Lewis, I went to a Christian bookstore in, in Quinnell, being Christian grade 10, and I wasn't raised in a Christian family. And in grade 10, I got to become a Christian, and someone told me about Christ the first time, and I was like, wow, like, how come no one ever told me about this? And so I started reading my Bible, and I realized that there was a thing called Christian books. <laughs> I had no idea, but I know there's Christian books out there. I went to this place called, there was a Christian bookstore when they had those way back in the day, before Amazon. And I walked in, and there's just books. Like, you go to a Christian bookstore, just like Bible. I remember going to Bible section, like, where do I get a what Bible do I get? There's 30 different versions. But I remember going to a bookstore, and I was like, what is the, the best book I should read on faith? And I remember this, like, this little old lady on the counter. She goes and she grabs this little book off the table because they had like a little table with all these books and she comes over and goes, you should read this book. And I was in grade 10 and I was like, okay, C.S. Lewis. I have no idea who this person is. And it's mere Christianity. I remember reading through it and it really impacted me very profoundly, but there's a, uh, the last words in this book. C.S. Lewis talks about the functioning principle of the kingdom of God. And here's what it says. This principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give yourself up, and you'll find your real self. Lose your life, and you'll save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions, your favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body. In the end, submit to with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have will not be given away, will be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you'll find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But if you look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else is thrown in. I love that. There's a functioning principle here. What does it look like for us to to be a part of God's kingdom? It looks like functioning upside-down kingdom. It looks like going to community group and being vulnerable and being real and not holding things back because you're worried about your ego or yourself. It looks being like generous to people around you. It looks like loving your neighbor in radical ways. In one of my churches I was pastoring, I think so often that we, we protect. I protect, right? We put on like a, a veneer. I think so often, I think Kelowna has like this amazing veneer of just like, it's veneer over top of a dumpster fire. But I'm like always like, why do I have to project success to a culture, to people? I remember this one couple came in and this husband came in to my office and said, hey, actually, I'm really struggling in my marriage. And I said, hey, you should go and tell your community group that. And they could pray with you and, and uh, 
love you through this moment, they would never understand. They would never know. They could never empathize with me. I said, okay, I'll pray with you. So I prayed this person and went away. A week later, another couple from that same community came in and said, our marriage is struggling. I said, yeah, go and tell your community group. They would love to, I imagine maybe there's some other people that are struggling too. Um, and maybe you guys can share stories and hold each other accountable and, and pray with each other and cry with each other and all those things. And like, no, no in my community group. They're perfect. Their marriages are amazing. They would never understand the brokenness in my marriage. I was like, okay, great. Prayed with them. They went away. A week later, a third couple comes in. I said, hey, why, why are you guys here? Uh, our marriage is struggling too. I said, have you told your community group? Could you tell them? They would never understand. Do you see what we do all the time? Like, I do this. That people would never understand our pain. They would never hold us tenderly in our most broken moments. I hope, as a church in Kelowna, that as you have done for me, we would do for you one day. That in your most vulnerable moments, in your most broken moments of your life, that we would hold you tenderly. That we remind you of Jesus, just like Mark and Nancy reminded me of Jesus. I hope that we would hold you in new ways that would bring, a, bring about a whole new organization of your, the kingdom of God in your life. It looks like weakness, not strength. It looks like vulnerability, not just like a, a veneer of having it all together. I hope in our community groups, in our church, that we can break through that, that show an upside-down kingdom. When you go back through these parables, you see a lamp under a bushel, you see seed going to ground, you see the smallest of seeds becoming the biggest of trees. What do you really see here? That Jesus is the light of the world, they tried to put him under a bushel and he broke out. That Jesus said to himself, said himself, I am a seed, you put me in the ground and I grew no matter what. Try to stop me. He grew to the biggest tree to give life to the whole world. You see, it's the most interesting in this passage is that Jesus really literally became the smallest of seed. You see, how is this the case? You think about Jesus at Christmas, we remember that in our vulnerability, God became vulnerable. That the Lord of the universe became a man. Before that, he became a baby. Before that, he became an embryo. Before that, he became a single cell. And why would he do that? For you and for me. To show us a new way of living. A new way of organizing our lives. That, that the God of the universe came for you. That's like no other kingdom I know. That every religion, when you look at it, people come as a warrior in strength. God came in vulnerability and weakness as a baby. You see, we organize our lives because Jesus brought infinite wealth into our lives in a new kingdom, in a new way. When you look at the tree that's going to unite heaven and earth, 
It said that Jesus was hung on a tree, on a cross, that changed human history, whether you like it or not. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, he changed human history and our history. But Jesus is the ultimate example of the upside-down kingdom. See, Jesus, on the cross, you have Jesus not winning over losing, but winning through losing. You have Jesus bringing infinite wealth into our lives because of his poverty. That Jesus brings infinite power and influence to the world by giving it all away. And this is why we accept the kingdom of God and organize ourselves differently in the kingdom of God because Jesus shows these principles. You see, we have become rich because Jesus has become poor. We have become people changed not by what we can do or what we've done, but what Christ has done for us on the cross. That he has planted the smallest seed in your life that's going to grow in the most profound ways when you least expect it. That in my life, when I feel like I was going to be crushed and destroyed, that God actually grew something in me that I never thought would happen. That Jesus actually used my suffering and my pain to reach people in brand new ways. I talked about this past week. That you want to see where there's fertile ground in Kelowna. It's where people are struggling. When they're in pain. And everyone suffers. It's a human condition. But where people struggle and they suffer, this is a spot where, where God can really work. We're at the end of ourselves. In, our, in the midst of our brokenness. Could God grow something that we never thought would grow before and change us. So as we come to communion, I'm bringing the band back up to lead us. Um, I would love for us to reflect on Christ's kingdom and to say, Christ, this is all about your kingdom, that I am so sorry, I am so sorry so often when I make it about my kingdom, about looking or projecting a certain way on social media or on whatever, Instagram or TikTok, to the world that actually have it all together. But so often, if you look past the curtains of my life, there is so much brokenness just right there that I've told no one about. But I'm telling you, Jesus, I'm telling you, come into my life and change me. Be that seed that comes in and changes everything, reorganizes everything. Jesus, would you be the king of my life? But I get off the throne of my life, my kingdom, and let it be your kingdom. Let's pray. God, would you, would you show me the way I've projected success and built my own kingdom? Father, I love you. I want to serve you for the rest of my life. I pray as a church that we'd want to be a church shaped and formed by you. Show us today the way we don't build our kingdom, the way we build our kingdom, and don't let you build your kingdom in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. Please subscribe to our podcast. Share with your friends. We would love for you to join our movement. All you have to do is go to livefree.church to join us.